you know, we, we love God life. I love having, uh, I love family. I love the fact that uh, my kids are growing up and Shelby and I have Shelby and I time. I love it. Uh, and, but I like it when they come home and, uh, and they bring life with them. And, you know, it's good to have Stephen home. It's good. Come on, give, me, give him a hand. Clap. Amen. Stephen, I'm turning you over to a hostile congregation this morning. They're, they're, they're nervous or something. But uh, uh, you pray for him and heal him. Amen. Stephen's going to bring the word of God this morning. Give him a hand as he comes. Come on. Good luck with this guy. Hear him up. Glory to God. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to go ahead and open with prayer, and then we'll get, get rolling. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the presence of God that's in this place right now. We thank you that uh, you're the God of, of faith and you're the God of yes, and you're, you know, all, of, all of your promises are yes and amen. amen. God, I thank you that uh, these people's ears would be open to hear God and their hearts would be softened to receive, that the words that I bring bring life to them, Father, and that it's deeply rooted into their hearts and it produces life in them. Lord, have your way in this service tonight, and may you flow through me. In your name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, I'm... Uh, Stephen, uh, I'm going to school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, at Rainbow Bible College, and uh, good things are happening over there. I've grown a lot since when I've left here, and uh, it's very real. You know, I can really see in the places I've grown and the things I've done that I'm not doing anymore that I had wasn't doing that I'm doing now, like preaching. So uh, I want to talk about living the life of an overcomer. And in order to live a life of overcomer, you have to be holy. You have to get your life holy. You know, we're the temple of God, and God's temple is a holy place, and God dwells in holy places. So you need to get your, your life holy. And uh, as most Christians, most Christians are like spiritual yo-yos. You know, they're always up and down, up and down. Usually, most of the time, they're down. And it reminds me of when me and my brothers would go to the public pool uh, when we were younger because my mom had the daycare, and we didn't like the kids at the daycare because they're just annoying, a lot of them. So we'd try and get out of the house and go to the public pool. But when you're there, one of the things you always found yourself doing was you'd jump into the deep end, and you'd get all the way down, and then you'd jump up, and you'd come out for a second, then you'd just sink back down to the bottom. And you would just do that time after time. It, something about it was fun. But it's like most Christians. They're always underwater, you know, under life. Life's always above them. And then sometimes they'll shoot up and they'll get a breath of God and a little spiritual high, but then they'll just sink right back down to the bottom. And I want to talk about how we get out of that. And uh, I want to talk about the life of Hezekiah. And it begins in Second Chronicles 31, verse 20. And it talks about the, uh, the summary of Hezekiah. And the summary is, Hezekiah did this throughout all of Judah. He did what was good, right, and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in keeping with the law and the commandments, to seek his God, inquiring of and yearning for him, he did with all of his heart, and he prospered. Now that should be what we're striving for for our life summer. I mean, that's a man who did everything unto God, everything through God, and he did it with all of his heart, and he prospered. You know, something about this is the story that I want to talk about is it begins in chapter 32, but yet, really, the way this is supposed to read, if you go into the Greek and you look at this, it's supposed to read that this is first and then it comes down into the story. God put your future, he already, it's already predestined. Your future is already planned out. Your full potential, what you're supposed to be is already planned out and God has that for you. But a lot of people won't get there because 
you know, they're lazy, they don't like to work hard. You know, being a Christian, living for God, it's hard work, it's not easy. And it sucks, you know, but the thing is, a lot of us are lazy. But uh, I want to go ahead and talk, and, and we'll, we'll jump down to 32, but we'll read it like this. And every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in keeping with the law and commandments, to seek his God, and inquiring and yearning for him, he did with all of his heart, and he prospered. After these things and this loyalty, so one thing I want to touch on that I haven't touched on in the, in the earlier services, because I've been saving it for you guys, <laughs> is it's after acts of faithfulness and after acts of loyalty that the enemy's going to show up. Okay, it's, it's not after acts of perversion or selflessness or sinfulness or, or lawlessness. It's after acts of faithfulness that the enemy shows up and he tries to take it. You know, my dad always says, your greatest, uh, the enemy will always come after your greatest revelation. Well, when you decide that you're going to start living for God, that's a revelation because that decides that you're going to change how you walk. You know, revelation is hearing or seeing something that, that, that changes the, the path that you're walking on. And so it's after acts of faithfulness that this happens. You know, a good way to, to gauge or, or meter, you know, if you're on good, you know, good spiritual level with God is, is the enemy attacking you. Because if the enemy's not attacking you, then you're not upsetting the enemy at all. There was a man by the name of Leonard Ravenhill who uh, went to an all-boys Methodist church when he was younger. And uh, it was a ministry, ministry training school. And uh, they'd have him go out on weekends and, go, and have assignments to go out to specific parts of town and preach. And after the prayer of benediction, he would say, And as you go out, may the devil go with you. Because if the devil doesn't go with you, you're not worth sending out. If you're under, the, under God and you're in line with God, the devil's going to be coming at you time after time after time. You know, it's our job to go into the, into the kingdom of darkness and take people out of bondage and preach and testify to God. And if you're on track with God, the devil's going to be upset. You know, I don't think the devil cares if you're at the gym lusting or if you're coarse joking with all your friends because what are you doing? You're just encouraging other people. You know, I want the devil after me. I want the devil trying to stop me because I'm going to kick him in the face and I'm going to keep running through him. You know what I'm saying? But anyways, I want, I, want to, I want to start in on the story. So, And it says, And after these things of loyalty, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came, invaded Judah, and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to take them. Sennacherib's the enemy, and he's coming to take care of... He wants to, he's overtaken multiple regions of this land, and now he's coming after Jerusalem, where King Hezekiah is. And then the next verse, it says, And when King Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to take the Jerusalem... So number one of nine things that I'm going to talk to you about, about how to overcome... Number one is you have to recognize that you have an enemy. We have an adversary, and he's out to kill, steal, and destroy our family, our faith, and our future. He wants to take you, and you need to understand this, because a lot of people, you know, it says, uh, uh, the, the scripture is, you know, because of their lack of knowledge, the, the people perish. Because people don't understand, and they don't know that the devil is out to take them, they perish. And if you think about in Exodus 13, when the Philistines were coming out of Egypt, you know, God's plan for them was to take them to the promised land. It wasn't just to deliver them from Egypt. It was to take them to the promised land. And God saw that the best way to the promised land was through the land of the Philistines. Okay, so the Philistines, is, it's an enemy. It's another war. And the best way, the easiest way, okay, we're going to go straight through them. But because the, the Israelites were just out of bondage, you know, and, and nowadays terms were new creation, born again, they're spiritual babes. They've never learned how to fight. They've never learned how to overcome, how to read their Bible, seek, pray, fast. They've never learned this stuff. So they're spiritual babes. I mean, we're not going to let our children walk across the highway. We're going to grab their hand. We're going to take them. And that's what God did. He took them, and he took them a different route because they didn't know how to fight. 
But if you look in Judges 3.1, it says, uh, it says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them. That is all in Israel who had not previously experienced war in Canaan. It was only that the generations of the Israelites might know and be taught war. So God's going to teach these guys how to fight and how to overcome. And these are the ones that, who previously knew nothing of it. And the next verse, it says, The remaining nations are the five lords of the Philistines. Okay, so later now, now after he's already directed them out, okay, now I need to teach my people how to fight. I need to teach my people, okay, you're going to have to learn how to overcome because there's going to be battles that you need to, you know, spiritual battles that you're going to have to overcome in life that you can't always go to your pastor for. You can't always go to the elders of the church asking, hey, you know, my marriage is ending. What am I, can you pray for me and expect him to do it in 15 minutes? No, you're going to have to stand up and fight. And a lot of people don't want to because they're lazy. God's going to leave Philistines in your path purposely so that you learn how to pick up a sword and fight. You have to learn how to fight. And that's what God did with these guys. And one thing that a lot of people do is, uh, you know, they blame the devil for everything. Well, well, the devil did this, and the devil's ruining my marriage, and the devil's, you know, hurting my kids. You know, the devil made me wreck my car. No, it's, a lot of that stuff is just human error. You know, your stupidity causes you to, to do things. You know, I had a, a teacher at Raymond, and he talks about this. And he says, you know, when Lucifer was in heaven, he was one of God's angels, one of the top guys. And pride overtook him. You know, I want to be better. I want to be greater. I'm going to reign. I'm going to do this. Well, if you think about it, there was no devil when Satan decided he was going to overtake God. So if you think about it, not everything that happens, not everything that you guys think, not everything you do, not every sin that you commit is the devil. Because there was no devil when Lucifer fell. So there's not, not everything is, it's always, a lot of it is your stupidity. And a lot of it is us, us being childish, not wanting to fight, being lazy, and not getting ready to, to go to war. You know, there's a little joke that said that the devil was sitting on the side of the road, and he was sobbing, and a Christian came up and said, you know, what's wrong, devil? And he said, well, it's all you Christians. You guys blame me for everything that I would like to do, but I just don't have time to do it. You know, a lot of it is us, and we have to realize that. And if you keep reading, and we'll go back to Second Chronicles uh, 32. And it said, he decided with his officers and his mighty men to stop the, wa- to stop the waters. Okay, number two thing you got to do, you got to make a choice. Okay, he saw, and then he decided. You have to make a, dis- a choice that says, okay, you know, by the grace of God, I'm going to stand up to this enemy. I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to fight, and I'm going to slay this thing, and it's not going to slay me. Uh, it's always it's he who always causes us to triumph. You know, we're not immune to the things, but we are we are going to be greater than things. We're always going to be on top and not the tail. You know, I'm first and not last. And you know, if my God is for me, then who can be against me? That's the attitude you have to take. You have to have the attitude of the overcomer because if you don't, I mean, you're just another sitting duck waiting to be waiting to be taken. And if you keep reading, it says, And he and his mighty men to stop up the waters of the fountains which were outside of the city by enclosing them with masonry and concealing them, and they helped him. The third thing you've got to do is you've got to cut off the source. What is flowing out of your life, what is flowing into your life that's allowing the devil to encamp there and, and survive and feed off of the sources? You have to understand that back in these days, one major war technique was that when they saw the enemy coming, they would take and they would, they would go to work and they would cut off all rivers coming out of their city and all rivers going into their city, all, any kind of water source, 
Because if the enemy came and he was there and he had something to feed his troops and something to feed off of, he could stay there. But if you had no water in your city, they would have to leave to go get supplies and sources for their troops because they can't survive off of nothing. It's the same in our life that we have to cut off any kind of source, any kind of anything. You know, what is it that you do? What, what do you stand up at late? You know, what's on the TV that, that you watch? Or who are the people that you hang out with that are, you know, investing into your life? What are the sources that's allowing the devil to encamp in your, t- in your city and, 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 and get at you time and time after time after time? Uh, the Bible says give no place to the devil. You have to get honest. And a lot of people don't want to get on us because they're going to say, you know, God, show me where the devil's getting in. Show me these things. And you ask and you shall receive. God's going to show you each and every place. And a lot of people don't do that because it's very uncomfortable. You know, it says God is the, the, the potter and you're the clay. Well, he's going to sit you down on that spinning wheel and he's going to turn you and he's going to start putting his hands in you and stretching you and, and molding you. And a lot of people don't like that because it's uncomfortable and it's not fun, but if you want to live a life for God and you want to be an overcomer, you've got to get to that, that spot. You know, it says the devil's a fisherman. He's a master fisherman. If you think about it, the devil's going to take a bait, whether it's lust, whether it's pride, anger, and he's going to cast it out, and he's going to roll it across your path, and he's going to wait to see which one you catch on. And say you catch on anger, he's going to write that down. Okay, so-and-so, anger. And he's just going to keep throwing that and keep throwing that and keep throwing that, and he'll throw out a little bit of lust here and there, see if you catch on to that, and a little bit here and there. The devil's a fisherman. He knows you inside and out. And you have to get honest with yourself and ask God, show me where I'm letting the devil into my life. Show me how he's getting into my life. And he's going to. And it's, and it's going to take determination and willpower to do that. You know, God gave us the, will, the, the willpower, and it's one of the greatest things. You know, you have the choice to choose life or death. You should choose life. But he's saying, you've got to make a choice. Okay, are you going to cower and go sit in a corner somewhere and cry because the devil's coming at you? Are you going to stand up or are you going to fight? And, the first, and it takes a lot of determination. You know, the first day that you decide, okay, I'm done with anger. I'm not going to be angry anymore. The devil's going to come at you a thousand times with anger. And he's going to see how bad you want to get rid of it. And when, day one, you accomplish it. Yeah, okay, I didn't, I didn't fall into anger one time this day. Day two, 999 times the devil's going to throw anger at you. Day three, 998 times. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It takes willpower and dedication to get rid of the sin that's in your life. And a lot of people say, oh, how can God use me? How can he, you know, I, I'm just some guy and I, I always fall to this. I'm always falling to that. No, you've you got to get rid of it and you've got to get determined to get rid of it. When I uh, came home from the summer, uh, just the summer, I did an extended fast before I came home. And uh, growing up playing football and sports and stuff, we were always in the weight room. And uh, me and TJ love to work out together. It's just, you know, we do it a lot together. We have a lot in common, and uh, I remember getting home, and I got off the fast, and I hadn't worked out in quite some time, and, you know, 135 pounds, that's pretty easy, and that's kind of the expectation at the, at the high school, that, okay, if, you can, if you're going to play football on varsity or whatever, you should be able to bench 135 pounds. That should be your warm-up. And so me and TJ went to work out, and we went to our warm-up, and he repped out his 10 or 15, and I got on the bench ready, and I got this, and I couldn't get the bar off of my chest. And he's laughing because he thinks it's a joke, and I really can't breathe. I'm struggling. So he finally helps me up. Very embarrassing. But since then, day after day, time after time, I've been faithful to the gym. I'm doing the right exercises. I'm exercising 
my muscles. And now I can bench, you know, 225 easily. I'm way above TJ. I'm only saying that because he's not in here. So I'm so far above him working out-wise that it's just ridiculous. But it didn't happen overnight. I didn't go back to the gym that next day and rep out 135 pounds. It took time, and it took work and sweat, and it's hard work. But that's what it's like in our life. It's going to take work, and it's going to take time, and it's going to take you deciding, okay, I need to get rid of this in my life. I need to get holy. I need to get, become an overcomer in life. And if you keep reading in Second Chronicles, it says, uh, and go to the next verse, please. It says, So many people gathered, and they stooped up all the springs in the brook which flowed through the land, saying, Why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? And it says, And also Hezekiah took courage and built up all the walls that were broken. The fourth thing that you have to do is you've got to figure out where you're weak in your walls. You know, the Bible claims that we're a city. If you look in Proverbs 25:28, it says, uh, He who has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. The Bible compares us to a city. So you're a city, and if you don't have control over your anger, you don't have control over the lust, you don't have control over the pride, you're like a city with no walls, that where the enemy can come in at any time of day or night, and he can come in and attack, and you're not going to be prepared to fight because your walls are broken down. You've got to get honest with God, and you've got to get honest with yourself, and you've got to say, okay, here's where the devil's getting me. The devil's getting me with pride. Every time Keith is at the gym, he's always looking at his muscles. He's always, no, you know, no, but you have to get honest with yourself you got to get honest, and it can't be in just one area of life, because if you say, well, the big one's pride, so I'll take care of that, and I'm not going to worry about lust or anger. So you take care of that big wall, well, the devil's sneaking in right there, and now that's your dominant. Now lust is huge in your life, and you can't get under it. And it says that if you yield to one thing, you become a slave to that thing. So you're becoming a slave to this pride issue, while the devil's coming in in, in every area. You need to get honest with your life and open up the doors and say, okay, this, 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 this is where God is, where the devil's coming into my life, and this is where I'm getting. And then you need to rebuild those walls. And the way, and it, and it says, uh, in the Bible it says, the seed that fell into an honest heart produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. It takes an honest heart for God's word to produce in your life. And it doesn't take a spiritual heart, it doesn't take a, a pure heart or a successful, it takes an honest heart for the word of God to come in and then start producing 30, 60, and 100 fold in your life. And the way to rebuild the wall, if you go to Ephesians 4.28, Paul here is preaching and he's saying, you know, uh, let the thief steal no more, but rather let him industrious, making an honest living with his own hands so that he may be able to give to those in need. So if you think about it, there's a story here of a guy and he's listening to this message and he's saying, Paul is saying, let the thief steal no more. And he's thinking to himself, okay, why well, I steal for a living. You know, it's not just running into the candy store and, and taking candy so he can show his friends, look what I did. I mean, this is a, a day-to-day thing. This I steal on a living so that I can live. And so he goes up to Paul after their message and saying, hey, Paul, you're saying I can't steal anymore. What am I supposed to do? I mean, I need to steal because that's how I live. And Paul's saying, okay, let the thief steal no more, but, la- but rather let him make an honest living with his own hands. So number one thing in rebuilding your wall is you have to stop doing it. You have to recognize where your problem's at, where you're weak, and you stop doing it. And the number two thing is you act in the opposite spirit. Okay, so I'm stealing. You're not stealing anymore, but now you're going to start working. And, it's gonna, and you're going to work, and you're going to get money. And then it says, so that you may be able to give to those in need. Okay, God's going to put you in a place to where, okay, I'm not, no longer doing this, but now I'm working and I'm going towards God, and now I can start blessing people. And, you know, and I can see it, Paul saying, okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to stop working, now you're going to go get a job, and you're going to start working. 
And then you see that little boy over there? He's been asking for rollerblades for Christmas for weeks. He's just so set that he's getting rollerblades for Christmas. Well, the thing is, his dad died, and his mom's really struggling. So, so what you're going to do is you're going to go out to Macy's. You're going to buy the nicest rollerblades you can, and you're going to package them up, and you're going to write on a little note, little Johnny, this is, this is a present to you from Jesus, your heavenly father. I know you don't have a father now, but God is your father, and he, he loves you very much. And you're not going to put your name on it because... You know, you, you don't need to. And then you're going to go give to this person. You're going to, be set, you're going to get set up in a position to where you can bless others. And if you keep reading, it talks about let no foul or polluting language nor evil word or unwholesome or worthless talk ever come out of your mouth, but only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others. Okay, so, yeah, you know, you coarse joke and, and you, you know, the words that you're always talking down about people, you're always complaining, you know, this is never right, you're always, you always have a sad story to tell, you're done with that, now you're going to start speaking life into other people, you're going to start uplifting people. You know, there's a girl at my work, and I work, I'm a waiter at a restaurant, and she came, and she was just nagging at me about our boss, and it was like, you know, I can't believe he took this table from me. They were going to give me so, such a good tip and this and this and this. And I said, but isn't he just such a good boss? Like, don't you just love the way that he manages it and your schedule works out every time? And she just stopped and was staring at me like, are you kidding me? And turned and walked off. And I was, the devil can't do anything. He has to stop when you, when you act in the opposite spirit because there's nothing for him to do. You, and then it goes on and talks about, you know, if you're going to, uh, you know, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But if you're going to rebuild your wall, you've got to get honest. You've got to stop doing it. Act in the opposite spirit. And then God's going to let you be a blessing to others. If we, keep, if we go back to Second Chronicles uh, 32 and verse 5, it says, and he, was, he built up all the walls that were broken, and he raised up towers upon it. Number five thing you have to do, you've got to raise up towers. Towers in those days were, were a way of alert system. They built up towers higher, you know, about 40, 50 feet higher than the walls. And they'd have men in there, and the men had to be discerning. They had to be men of discernment to be able to be a watchman because they had to be able to tell, okay, is that cloud of dust the enemy coming to attack, or is, are those mercenaries coming to make trade, you know, you know, candles? You have to be discernment. You have to build towers in your life, and you have to say, okay, now I need to discern where, where and when is the enemy going to come and try and attack. He gets me every, every time right here. This is where he gets me at work. Every time I see this guy at work, I get so mad. Okay, well, right there, you need to be discerning. Okay, this guy's going to come, and I'm going to get angry. So what, am I, what do I need to do to switch that? How am I going to do that? And so you have to build those towers. You have to get ready. Uh, in the New Testament, it says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. You have to watch and you have to pray. You have to be on alert for the devil, your adversary, roams around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil's after you. The devil's after your family, after your faith. And you have to watch and pray and get ready for where he's going to come. 9-11, you know, the U.S. of A. was the hot shots. We, you know, no one could touch us. We were not on alert. And what happened? We got hit hard and we, and by the enemy and he got us and he knocked us down. Now we are on so much alert that it's hard to go through. It takes hours to go through the airports because we are ready for anything to come. We are on alert. Is it going to take a 9-11 event in your life for you to get on alert like you're supposed to be? Is something going to have to happen so big and so devastating that you hit rock bottom so that you realize, okay, I, I can overcome now. I don't, you know, the next time this comes at me, I'm going to be ready. It doesn't have to happen, but a lot of people are tired, they're lazy, and they're not ready to work at it, and so they're going to get beat down, and they're going to get attacked, and they're going to get knocked down. But we don't have to do that. Uh, 
if you think about Peter, I love Peter because he's really prideful and you know he's talking to Jesus and saying, you know, Jesus, you sure picked a good one when you got me. You know, I'd die for you, Jesus, any day, any time of night, no matter where we're at, God, I'm your number one. And I don't know about those other guys. I probably wouldn't have picked them, but God, you sure got you sure got a good one when you picked me. And days later, Jesus and them are in the in the garden, and Jesus is praying, and it's about a couple hours before. The, people, the Romans are, came to take Jesus to the cross. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, watch and pray. And Jesus went away and prayed. So there's one. He came back out. Peter was asleep. He, he woke Peter up and said, Peter, watch and pray. Went back, came back. He was asleep. He said, Peter, watch and pray. Three times he told Peter to watch and pray. Hours later, three times, Peter denied, the devil, denied Jesus. Peter betrayed Jesus three times. He fell to sin three times. Now, I don't think Jesus was telling Peter, watch and pray, because people were coming to get Jesus. Because Jesus knew that no matter what, he had, he had to go. I think Jesus was saying, Peter, watch, because the devil is going to come, and he's going to try and get you in this area. You need to be on alert, and you need to be ready with the word of God to fight the devil back. And Peter fell three times. You have to be able to watch and pray. You have to be on alert. The next thing that happens... After they raised towers, it says, was, and, uh, they strengthened the Milo in the city of David and made weapons and shields in abundance. Number six thing you have to do is you gotta make weapons. You gotta get prepared. You gotta get your swords out. You gotta get your artillery. Get ready to fight the devil. You can't fight the devil always on defense. You have to go in on offense. You know, it says in the Bible, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but strong and mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. We have strongholds in our life, and God has given you the stuff to take and pull them down, and they're mighty and powerful through God. They're more than you need, but that's the God that we have is the God of more than enough. God's given you the weapons that are going to be greater than the enemy to pull down the things in your life, and you have to use them. There was a lady, and she was preaching on the full armor of God, and I'm not going to get into it because I always mix up the, the helmet and this. But she had this a play set of all the armor, and she pulled out a, an assistant pastor, and she dressed him in this armor. And he had the shield, the breastplate, the helmet, the, you know, the, the sword. And she said, this is a Christian, and he is fully prepared with the armor of God to fight the devil. And she went and she grabbed a little play dagger or whatever and said, okay, I'm the devil. Here's the Christian. Let's fight. And she started stabbing at him, jabbing, you know, swinging at him, making attempts to hit him, and his shield was going everywhere, and he always blocked, every, I mean, just solid on defense. And she said, okay, that's enough, that's enough. And she, she said, go sit down, and she said, he's like most Christians. He never used a sword once. God has given us a sword. We're supposed to use this. You're supposed to find the things in the Bible, specific truths in the Bible, and you're supposed to use them against the, the enemy in, in, in specific places where he's coming to fight. We have to learn how to fight. You know, uh, you know, the person that's stealing says, let him steal no more. Okay, thou shalt not steal. I need to not steal. You know, if you're having a problem with, with fear, and you're supposed to be using the, you know, thou, uh, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. But you're saying, Jesus wept. Oh, gosh. Jesus wept. If Jesus wept is the only scripture you know, he's probably still weeping. Okay? You need to find specific truths in the word. You need to find specific things that, that go with what you're fighting for. Uh, and that's the only way that you're going to learn to fight. Is, I mean, the only way that you're going to defeat the enemy is by using specific truths. If we keep reading, it said, uh, 
and they made shields in abundance. And it says, And he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together in, in the streets of the gate of the city, and he spoke encouragingly to them. Number seven, you've got to encourage yourself. In Romans 15, it says, Through the encouragement of the scripture that we might have hope. That we might have hope. You know, the Bible's full of mistakes. Full of them. It starts with Adam's mistake and then Eve's mistake. But the good thing is, if the Bible wasn't full of mistakes, how unencouraging would that be? That you would go and you would see that Peter denied God three times, or, or that Peter was perfect. He, he, when God told him to watch, he watched and he prayed, and he, did, he exalted God every time someone came at him. How unencouraging would that be? Or, or that you know, Samson never fell to temptation, but he, was, he fought through it and God used him. I mean, if the Bible was perfect, it would be so unencouraging, but then you think about Peter and how God's got a second chances and, and Peter's out in the boat and he's fishing and, got, and he doesn't get anything. Jesus came and he made a fire and he called Peter in. And he sat Peter down and he said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Three times for three mistakes, Peter got a makeup chest. That's our God. That's the God that loves you. He's full of makeup tests, and that's encouraging. That's what the Bible's about. You've got to figure out, you know, once you figure out the walls and you build the towers, now you've got to go and encourage yourself. You've got to get encouraged through the, through the Word, and you've got to get built up in the Word. And that's, you know, Hezekiah quoted God's promises. He said, and, and he spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous, be not afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there is another with us, greater than all those with him. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 20, it says, When you go forth to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt is with you. He went, he found specific truth in the Bible, God's promise, and he spoke to the people and encouraged them. You've got to remember past victories. The Egyptians remembered God took us from the biggest king, the, the mightiest king, the most powerful king in all the world, and he took us out of that, and he's taken us to a promised land, something greater. When you remember past victories, okay, yesterday I did that. I got away from sin. Today I can do it again. I can do it again. I remember. You have to think of that. You've got to encourage yourself in the scripture and think of past victories. And then if you read the number eight thing in, back in Second Chronicles 32, verse 9, it says, uh, it says, And this Sennacherib king of Syria, while he himself with all of his forces before Lachish, sent his servants to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah king of Judah, and to all Judah who were at Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib king of Syria, On what do you trust what, that you remain in the strongholds of Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah leading you on in order to let you die by famine and thirst, saying, The Lord our God will deliver us out of the hand of king of Assyria? Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before the one and only altar? So the devil's going to come and he's going to try and get you to backtrack on the promises that God has for you. When Hezekiah first became king in, in chapter 29, you can read about it, is he went into the temple and he cleaned up house. He got everything that was out of order, everything that wasn't in its right place, every, everything that was causing sin, and he cleaned it out from the inside out. And so the devil's coming here and he's saying, isn't this the guy that told you you can't worship your God anymore? Isn't this the one who's saying you can't do that anymore? Isn't this the... And the devil's going to come and he's going to poke at you and he's going to try and get you to backtrack on the things that God has already told you, God's already promised you, and he's going to see what happened. But because he, the king Hezekiah came and spoke encouragingly to these guys, 
they relied on his words because our God is greater. You know, the God that we have is greater than any of our problems. And so it says that the King Hezekiah came and, and then, you know, right here they remembered past victories. And if you keep reading and it says, uh, you shall worship before one altar and burn incense upon it. Do you know that I, who I am and what my fathers have done to the people of the lands were the gods of the nations of those lands in any way able to deliver us out of my hand? So here he's saying, okay, look, no one has ever defeated me. No one's ever even came close to me or what my fathers have done. What makes you think that your God can do this? And he's going to try and get you to backtrack. But if you jump to 32 verse 20, it says, For this cause Hezekiah, the king, and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried to heaven. He got with another man of God and he prayed. We have to get with another man of God. We have to get with another woman of God, and we got to pray. we got to get with someone and say, okay, the power of agreement, we got to get together. Okay, I'm getting rid of this sin in my life, and I need you to help me pray. We cannot always rely on our pastors to do it for us. You know, one can send a 1,000 to flight, but two can send 2,000 to flight. Think if you had a, a group of five guys with you, and you're praying, okay, we're getting rid of this loss. What's going to happen? I tell you, strongholds are going to be pulled down. Lives are going to be restored. Relationships renewed. God's going to do a work in your life when you get with prayer. But a lot of us are lazy, and we don't want to work at it. And a lot of us, you know, we read this story, and a lot of us would love the story to be read in a different way. So if you jump with me back to Second uh, Chronicles 31, verse 21, it says, uh, or verse 20 says, And every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in keeping with the law and commandments to seek his God, inquiring and yearning for him, he did with all of his heart, and he prospered. If we go to, and we keep going, it says, And uh, or after these things, and this loyalty, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came, invaded Judah, and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to take them. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, and then we'd like to skip all the way down to verse 20, he went to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, and prayed and cried to God. And the next verse it said, And the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. We'd love for it to be read that way, that, okay, I see that you know, I'm doing good things for God. Oh, the enemy's coming. I'm going to go pray with someone, and God's going to send an angel, and he's going to take care of it. We'd love for it to be read that way. But it's not read that way. God's going to set Philistines in your life. He's going to set you up to have to fight. And you're going to need to learn to overcome. Because we cannot be just spiritual babes for the rest of our life. Because God's called us to higher and greater things. God has called us to be victorious. And the only way to be victorious is if you learn how to fight. You have to mature in God in order to learn how to fight. We have to mature. How to, we have to mature. You know, God, I, God's given me desires and, and, and things that I want to accomplish for God and things that I can see myself doing in the future. But if I don't get and, and, and learn how to fast and how to pray and how to set time apart for God and build a relationship with God, I'm never going to get there because it requires maturity for you to get to where God wants you to be. God has a plan for your life, but it requires you to be mature. And it requires you to be an overcomer in God. But, like I said, a lot of us won't get there because a lot of people are lazy. And they don't want to work. And it's hard work. You know, when they filled in the, the, the rivers, it's not little puddles that you just throw some sand in and it soaks up all the water. I mean, it's hard work digging and building dams. And, and, and it takes manpower. It doesn't happen overnight. Maturity doesn't happen overnight. It starts now. And it starts with you saying, okay, by the grace of God, I'm going to get the sin out of my life. I'm going to step into God's grace and God's plan for my life. And I'm going to start kicking down the devil's doors and overcoming, God, and overcoming through God. 
And you have the power to do that. You just have to tap into what God has for you. Amen. Amen.